online, on digital radio and television, and on the ABC Listen app. The Tasmanian Country Hour with Fiona Breen on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Hello and good afternoon. We're going to catch up with the latest on fires around the state and check in with the expert to find out what sort of risk is still out there. We've also got a biosecurity Tasmania weed expert checking in to let us know about the latest bans on that rather pretty but toxic weed, the foxglove. And heritage apples, some of those old-fashioned types that you may remember from the past. They're not a a bright red apple. They don't store particularly well, so you can't stick them in a cool store and pull them out in six months' time. They, 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 don't, they don't store like that, but they're fantastic. So they hold their shape when you, when you cook them and you slice them up. They, they don't go mushy, mm. so they don't turn into like what we call floof. They don't, <laughs> they don't floof. Thanks. For, I'm Fiona Breen. Thanks for joining the Country Hour. We're about to talk to an officer, the incident controller of the situation up in the, the Central Highlands. Uh, thanks for joining me today. What's the weather like in your area? Hot and dry or has it cooled down? Let me know. 04389 What about foxgloves? No doubt you've seen them up and down the highways. There's a move to get rid of them. Have you got them in your garden? Have you bought any recently? Let me know. Send me a text. 0438 922 Now, on the line, I believe we have... Mark Klopp from TFS Incident Controller. Hello, Mark. Are you there? Yes, good morning. (laughs) Well done. We've done that well. Uh, Look, just want to get an update on what's happening around the place. Uh, Did you want to start with the Central Highlands? Yes, can do. Um, So yesterday um, we uh, were dealing with three separate fires in the Central Highlands, um, one being the Portal Road fire, um, the other one being the Mintmore Tier fire. And we have a new fire, which is um, known as the Lanes Tier fire, um, that the crews have been working quite actively on over the last 24 hours and through the evening. We did have some fire impacts and properties in the uh, D Lagoon Shack area. Um, we've got crews there again today um, doing some assessments um, on any kind of possible um, impact on structures. Um, the only thing we're aware of at the moment is um, some slight impact to one of the controlling gate facilities for Hydro Tasmania. Um, at the current moment, we still, I'd like to just get everybody to be aware, we still have a total fire ban on until uh, two o'clock tomorrow morning. So um, everybody needs to adhere to the total fire ban restrictions. So that means don't Um, light any fires, don't use certain equipment, that sort of thing? Yes, they'd be really vigilant. It's so, so dry in the landscape at the moment that we don't want people using any kind of ignition source, even including mowers, um, striking wire or a star picket or a rock um, is enough at this point in time until we get some substantial rain to um, cause a fire and obviously things like grinders and naked flames of any sort. So um, anybody thinking of going camping, even for heating and things like that, um, we're asking people to use um, some kind of 
uh, gas implement in a safe, enclosed environment, not out in the open. Okay, a strong message there. Don't uh, use anything that might cause a flame at all to strike in really dry conditions. Now, I know there's a community meeting up in the Central Highlands. What's the message there? Do you know? Yeah, so we've got um, a representation from um, the uh, Tasmania Fire Service um, and also from one of our community advisory people and also from TFS Operations. Um, so just bear with me, I'm, I'm just scrolling through a little bit of information um, in relation to that meeting. Um, so the, fire, uh, the meeting today will be at 12 o'clock and um, the idea will give, be to give people a, an overview of what has occurred, um, what our strategies are for the firefighting um, moving forward, and um, then it'll be open to a little bit of questioning from those in the local community and anybody else that would like to attend that briefing. Um, they're very, very informative and gives people the opportunity to um, ask those questions that they may not have answers to. Yeah, because there's still a, a watch and act uh, for Dee, Brady's Lake, Taralea and surrounds, uh, also Victoria Valley and Austerley prepare to leave. So people in those areas need to be prepared. Yes, they do. Um, and what we're uh, really asking people is to be really, really vigilant if you have any new kind of fire start. Um, that is new, please report it straight away via triple zero. Um, the other one is too is don't, unless you're really comfortable and you prepare, your property's um, prepared correctly, um, give yourself enough time to leave early and um, also make yourself very familiar with your community protection plan. Now they're available on the TFS website. Um, have a good look at that. It will give you the most up-to-date information on where to go um, and what to do. Um, the other thing is to, I'd like to just explain, in there there's reference to a nearby safer place and also an evacuation centre. So an evacuation centre is somewhere people can go um, and expect some kind of assistance, some kind of bedding, maybe a cup of tea and a biscuit. Um, a little bit of comfort, but a nearby safer place is just a safe of, a place of safety. So there won't be um, any creature comforts there. So everything you need, you will need to be self-sufficient, um, but it will be a place that you can go um, sort of last minute to, um, to be safer than where you possibly are at that point in time. Mm, and to find out about that, look at the TAS Alerts website. Yes. Yep. And have a listen to ABC Local Radio as well. We're doing regular updates. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Incident Controller Mark Klopp. Um, sounds like you've got a lot of people all around the state doing things. Yes, we have. We've got uh, fire crews being rallied at the moment, um, strike teams coming down from the north and the northwest um, to support the firefighting operations over the, the weekend. Um we're still having trouble um, mapping some of these fires. We're hoping by early afternoon we'll have a better idea of how big these fires are. They're all in excess of a 1,000 hectares at the moment in quite inaccessible areas. Um, and we will be coming up with some strategies to um, bring those fires out to probably some major highways, roadways, et cetera, to, to put some containment lines around them. Just on that, um, I'd also like to just get people to make themselves aware with road closures. 
Um, the road closures are changing constantly. We're trying to keep the roads open um, every possible way we can, but with firefighting operations and also with um, dangers associated with the impact of the fire, please follow the signage. Please follow the um, directions of the police. I know it can be frustrating, um, but the other one, it's about the safety of the firefighters on the roadway and those using the road. So um, anybody that's going out and about on the weekend, um, I know there's a deer season coming up and fishing and camping, etc. Please avoid the areas. It's not safe. And um, and there will be time in the next couple of weekends to, to go and visit those areas. Yeah, make another plan. Um, just looking at the map there, there's a, a lot of trees, big trees, which I assume are very flammable that this fire is going through. Yeah, it's just the landscape at the moment. It's been months now since we've had any substantial rain and um, the ground and the landscape is very, very dry, even in the bush. And it's going to take a lot of rain, um, probably 30, good dousings of 30 to 40 mils to um, to change that. So hopefully in the coming months we will get that rain. Um, but at this point in time, it is quite challenging because of the, uh, the dryness and the, uh, the flammability of the bush at the moment. Okay, Incident Controller Mark Klopp. We're about to speak to farmer Bernard Brain, who's not that far from uh, where these fires are, so we'll work out uh, what he's doing and what he's thinking. But if anybody wants any more information, they can uh, listen to ABC Local Radio or visit the Taz Alert website, tazalert.com. Thanks very much. Thank you. Now, on the line, I've also got uh, Bernard uh, Brain, a farmer up there in the Derwent Valley, not that far from these fires, Bernard. No, unfortunately, uh, we're the nearest fire, the Lanes Tier one, as they're calling it, uh, is only about five k's maximum from our uh, northern boundary. So uh, it was a bit of concern both for stock and um, crops and that sort of thing. Uh, we evacuated uh, sheep and uh, cattle off our native pasture runs on top of our hill to get them down onto short, uh, very short, um, improved pasture so they'd be pretty safe there. But fortunately, there was no... Um, spot fires and that sort of thing and uh, uh, eventually the wind changed of course which sends it away from us but unfortunately sends it off to someone else in that uh, case. Yes of course. Now, So you were busy yesterday moving sheep and livestock? Yes, yes, we got them out late late in the day when we thought it was just a bit risky still. The cold front hadn't come through, so uh, we got them out of the way. Uh, the cattle were sitting at the gate ready so the, we were able to let them out into a laneway where it's very short grass and then we gathered weathers off the top of our hill and we got most of them out pretty quickly so that was good and got them safe. And did you see any embers or anything coming round your place? No, we had plenty of smoke uh, for about three hours in the afternoon and then uh, hanging around down on the farm but uh, uh, late in the uh, afternoon the smoke seemed to lift and was just around the tops of the hills, very thick of course and after dark there was a very large glow in the sky over a substantial area uh, but then the cold front came through and uh, cleared it out to, uh, that way and unfortunately that puts Austerley and Victoria Valley in the firing line then. Yes. Now, uh, smoke around those hills isn't great for you because you have one of uh, Australia's highest altitude vineyards, don't you? 
Yes, um, we're a bit concerned at the moment. Uh, we went through it all in 2020 and uh, most of the grapes were downgraded and uh, now there's, we've got double the area of grapes, so there's probably about 150 tonnes of grapes at risk of possible downgrading or rejection, uh, which would be a substantial blow given the, the prices that Tasmanian fruit uh, can uh, get. Uh, we had smoke for about three hours, uh, in the afternoon and uh, after that it was just very faint haze and if the vineyard had been about a kilometre further south it wouldn't have even been in the smoke but uh, that was the luck of the, the draw I guess. But... Yeah and would you be picking yet or not quite? No we're still a good month away yet even for sparkling they're still finishing going off through and so and uh, the table fruit is still probably uh, uh, late March uh, at the earliest I would think so. What sort of money are you expecting from those grapes? Because you sell them, don't you, by the tons? Um, Some of it is a lease thing, so we don't actually get the money, but the actual value of the grapes would be in the order of um, half a million dollars, I suppose, round figures. Yeah, so so cross fingers, a bit of a nervous time. What do you have to do to check about smoke tank now? Uh, The companies we sell to will be taking samples. They'll do this start to getting the first sample for a, a sparkling block uh, on Monday and I guess they'll probably take a bit extra and um, um, see what they, hopefully they don't find anything but uh, it wasn't a particularly long time but you know, I'm not just up don't enough know. in the, uh, how long it needs to be to actually cause damage. Yeah and what do you do now as a farmer, just describe once again exactly where you are you know in the Durham Valley? Uh, we're about five kilometres north of Ooze on the Victoria Valley Road. Um, the vineyard's at an elevation of a couple of hundred metres there and uh, extends over about 19 hectares these days. Uh, so there's a fairly substantial investment there. And about four, four k's away from the fire front. Yes, it's um, in bush country, yes, in a direct line from our northern boundary, it'd be no more than four or five k's, possibly less. So uh, if it came out towards us, uh, it would get out into clear country and then, um, because of the season, the grass is very short, so uh, it might move fast, but uh, it uh, it's, would only be a low flame because of that in any of the improved um, grazing country. Mm, okay. Bernard Brown, good luck with that. So now it's just sort of be vigilant, is it? Yes, fingers crossed that um, tests, any tests they take come back negative and uh, keep the water up to them for another month or so and uh, hopefully they'll get on top of it in uh, before any northerly winds or that sort of thing brings it into grazing country. But you know, hopefully the winds will ease and all the houses in the way of the part of the fire will not be affected. Yes, yeah, keep safe yourself and all your neighbours, please. Uh, Thanks very much for talking to us, Bernard Brain. Okay, thanks Fiona. This week on Landline, from a failed hazelnut venture to a golden opportunity to grow Australia's appetite for pistachios. Good growth of the last six years since we started our nursery. And the dairy farmers getting out of their comfort zones to shine a light on mental health. There's a lot of soul searching inside a tractor by yourself wondering, you know, how am I going to get out of all this? That's Landline, Sunday 12.30 on ABC TV and streaming on ABC iView. It's the Country Hour with Fiona Breen on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania.
Now, every day our truckies deliver products to keep our country alive. It's not an easy job, especially when roads are closed and towns get cut off, like with all the weather events that Queensland's recently been through. A Torrens Creek pub in North Queensland garnered national attention after it implemented a pay-it-forward scheme to feed truck drivers if they were doing it tough. Grace Nakamara caught up with the Oasis Exchange hotel owner, Priscilla Mealy. I originally just saw it. Uh, Coles got me onto reels. I'd never sort of looked at reels before. Now I'm addicted. And there was one uh, from the state somewhere where it was just in general for people doing it tough. And then it just came together because the same day I'd, I'd seen that reel, we had a truck driver come in and he'd just finished helping somebody uh, fix an airbag and the guy said, look, I'll give you 100 bucks, mate. I'd like to give you more. I've only got 200 bucks to go from, you know, A to B and, and the the customer that the regular said, you know, oh, I'm not taking that. That's that's fine. So we were sort of just chatting about how things are in general, you know, electricity prices, young families, fuel, and um, how small towns like us rely on on drivers to get stock and and produce and and things like that. And yeah, we just sort of thought, well, it's not an original idea, but what if we morph this with this and see how it goes. So the pub, or well, we purchased on behalf of the pub a few meals and just put them on the board and, and put it online to a couple of trucky pages saying, hey, this is what we were doing. And I think it was within 24 hours, I said to Nicole, I'm not sure what's happening here. Is this what they call going viral? <laughs> 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 I didn't know. We were getting calls and we still are from people in New South Wales, Adelaide, Perth, Victoria, just everywhere wanting to help so yeah it's uh it's been great i mean these people have to physically look us up on our website to to get the info or chase us up on facebook so they're going out of their way to uh, to donate or to contribute to this initiative it's really it's really um heartwarming to see we've had a lot of people wanting to donate, some ex-truckies, some from a, a family background of truck drivers, uh, pensioners, which pulls at my heartstrings every time they want to donate. Uh, one lady called, she had cancer, she was a truck driver and then she got diagnosed with cancer. And um, So a, a lot of just real uh, everyday Aussie battlers you know, wanting to call up and lend a hand. You know, I literally have to walk around all day with with the phone on me now because uh, we're getting so many calls and so many people wanting to help. And have you given out any of these free meals yet? And what was the what was the response from the truckies? Yeah, we have, but more than anything, because it's still fresh and it's you know week one. We're just telling them about it. You know, hey this is what we've started and all these people are calling in, putting stuff on the boards. Please don't feel uh, embarrassed or whatever if you're having a tough week. Um, just just pick something off the board, bring it to Cole and we'll make sure you get fed. See, you don't have to be a really poor person constantly. You can be strapped for cash for a week because of a big bill or you forget your wallet or, you know, something unexpected happens. Ah, so true. That was Priscilla Mealy from the Oasis Exchange Hotel talking to Grace Nakamura. Now, there's a bid to stamp out the fast-spreading 
toxic weed foxglove in Tasmania. Native to Europe, it was imported as an ornamental garden plant as far back as the 1830s. And Noel Carmichael is the Invasive Species Manager with Biosecurity Tasmania. He joins me on the line now to talk about some changes under Biosecurity Tasmania, uh, all to do with foxgloves. Good afternoon, Noel. Good afternoon, Fiona. Now, tell me, there's some proposed changes. Uh, Let's first make sure we know what we're talking about. Uh, Explain to me what the – or explain to the listeners what the foxglove is and what it looks like so we know what we're talking about. Okay. Well, um, the digitalis genus, which includes the common foxglove that uh, most people uh, may have seen, it's it's been naturalised in Tasmania. As you mentioned, it's been here a long time. It's probably characterised uh, most obviously by uh, very pretty flower stalks, uh, usually a, uh, a pink to purple type of flower, uh, although there's white varieties as well. Um, it is widespread as a garden ornamental across Tasmania, um, but unfortunately it's also become a very widespread and um, high-impact environmental weed. Well, that's what I've seen uh, along the highways at different times, all over the place, I think. Really tall stem and, and pinky-purple flowers. That's the one. Um, and it's really uh, become a high threat to particularly conservation areas within Tasmania, our wonderful national parks and our World Heritage Areas. So uh, Biosecurity Tasmania is looking to declare uh, foxglove uh, in order to be able to better control um, and bring in some management measures that will hopefully allow us to prevent uh, further spread and also eradicate in some areas as well. So I know there was a push or there's been a push in the past to have foxglove listed as a declared weed like Spanish heath and hawkweed and gorse, etc. Is this what's happening? Uh, that's right, except it's it's not a complete declaration. It's a what we call a limited declaration under the uh, the new Biosecurity Act. And the intent is really twofold. It's uh, firstly to uh, limit the sale and the trade so that we're not bringing um, new species or new varieties of foxglove into Tasmania. Uh, and also we're uh, limiting the ability for it to spread within Tasmania by being sold in nurseries and so forth. Um, so that's really about uh, limiting the potential spread of uh, sexually reproductive um, species and subspecies. Uh, there is actually a sterile variety of, of um, digitalis, uh, which can still be um, used under the, uh, under the proposal. Um, but the intent is to, uh, to control that uh, trade and spread uh, and then also follow that up with uh, targeted management on the ground. So under the uh, under the declaration proposal, the idea is that there will be uh, two main categories applying to foxglove uh, class A areas where the it's in limited uh, distribution and there are high conservation values. That's really covering most of the reserve land areas in Tasmania. And then a much smaller uh, set of areas uh, which are classified as class B where it's recognised that there isn't the ability to eradicate in those areas at this time and the intent there is to really control within those areas and make sure that it doesn't spread 
into other areas. So eradication around reserves and maybe national parks, etc., but recognition that it's it's gone way too far in some areas and we just try and control it. That That's exactly right. So uh, what's happened is that Biosecurity Tasmania has put out uh, on the website uh, for public comment uh, this proposed declaration. Um, public comments can be made up until the 21st of April. Uh, there's a whole suite of information available on the Department of Natural Resources and Environment Tasmania website that I'd encourage you, your listeners to have a look at. Uh, you can also contact us if you have any specific in, uh, questions or require additional information. Okay, and nurseries are still actually selling it, do you think? Uh, yes, as, as, as far as we're aware. Um, the intent is obviously uh, assuming that the uh, the declaration um, goes ahead after the public uh, comment period. Uh, the intent is to engage with the nursery industry and uh, and work out the best way forward to uh, to ensure that uh, we're no longer selling uh, sexually reproductive varieties. Okay, and just finally, what does it do to native plants? And and have you seen or heard of it affecting animals or livestock at all? Uh, it, it outcompetes uh, native plants in some situations, and it is uh, quite invasive. That's obviously why there's been so much concern over the uh, over the genus um, over a long period of time. So it can certainly uh, uh, prevent um, native vegetation from uh, from growing in areas and outcompete it in some circumstances. In terms of uh, impact on on animals and. Uh, its toxicity, it's well known that the uh, the entire plant is toxic um, to animals uh, and to humans, um, and especially the leaves. So uh, basically, it, it's not a nice plant to have, even though it is very attractive, um, and that's the reason that we're going down this path of, uh, of declaration. Okay, Noel Carmichael, Invasive Species Manager with Biosecurity Tasmania. Thanks so much for joining the Country Hour. Thank you so much, Fiona. Time now to go to the newsroom with Laura Beavis. Thanks, Fiona. In ABC News, police are investigating two suspicious blazes in Tasmania's central highlands as firefighters continue to battle multiple fires in the area. The blazes near Dee, Taralea and Brady's Lake and one near Victoria Valley and Austerley are subject to watch and act alerts. In Victoria... Firefighters are continuing to battle a major bushfire in the state's west that's claimed at least one property with fears many more are likely to have been destroyed. More than 1,000 firefighters are working on the 11,000 hectare blaze. A 29-year-old police officer is in custody after a Sydney couple disappeared from the city's eastern suburbs earlier this week. Detectives were searching for the officer after former TV presenter Jesse Baird and his partner Luke Davies disappeared on Monday. They say he handed himself into police this morning. And in tennis, 18-year-old Jacob Mensik has shocked top seed Andre Rublev in the quarterfinals at the Qatar Open. The world number 116 beat the world number 5 in straight sets 6476. And there'll be more news at 1 o'clock. Thanks, Laura. Time now to head to the Weather Bureau. And Brooke Oakley, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Fiona. Now, uh, what's it been like around the place? Has there been much rain or anything? 
So today we've had fresh and gusty west to southwesterly winds pushing showers over western Tasmania. So most of the rainfall has been in the west. And in the 24 hours to 9am this morning, the highest rainfall total was 13 millimetres at Lake Margaret, followed by 8 millimetres at Mount Reed. Since 9am this morning, the highest total was 6 millimetres at Mount Reed, followed by 4 millimetres at Darwin Dam. It was very hot and windy yesterday, but temperatures are much cooler today. Yesterday, the maximum temperatures soared above 30 degrees for many locations, with the state maximum of 37 at Cape Bruni. And Hobart did have its two hottest days this summer back-to-back, with 31 on Wednesday and 35 on Thursday. Today, the maximum temperatures are down in the high teens to low 20s, which is 10 to 15 degrees lower than yesterday. Today. So much cooler, but it is worth noting that high fire dangers do persist for the eastern half of Tasmania today, and that's due to the dry and windy conditions. But we are expecting more settled and mild weather over the weekend and on Monday. So for tomorrow, it'll be fine apart from light morning showers about the west and far south, with west to southwesterly winds easing during the morning. And then on Sunday, some light showers do develop about the west during the day and then increase during the evening and extend to the south as a weak cold front crosses the state, but fine elsewhere. And on Monday, fine apart from possible light showers about the west and the northeast. And then in the middle of next week, temperatures do start increasing again on Tuesday and Wednesday and it might start get start getting windy as well. Are there any more warnings? So for today, there is a gale warning for lower eastern and southern coastal waters from Wineglass Bay to Low Rocky Point. Also a strong wind warning for all remaining coastal waters, the southwest lakes and all southeast inshore waters except the Derwent Estuary. And tomorrow, a strong wind warning for lower eastern and southern coastal waters from Wineglass Bay to Low Rocky Point. Out on the coastal waters, today we have west to southwesterly winds at 20 to 30 knots, reaching up to 35 knots in the south earlier today. The swells in the west and south are west to southwesterly of 5 to 6 metres, reaching up to 6.5 metres about the south. And the wave rider buoy at Cape Sorrel is currently reading 5.5 metres. In the north, a westerly of 1 to 2 metres. And in the east, a northeasterly of 1 to 1.5 metres, decaying to below 1 metre in the evening. Also, a southerly of half a metre to 1.5 metres, although southwest westerly 2 to 4 metres offshore in the south. Tomorrow the winds are west to southwesterly at 15 to 25 knots, reaching up to 30 knots about the southeast during the morning. And then the winds decrease to 5 to 15 knots during the afternoon and tend northeasterly about the northeast. The swells in the west and south are southwesterly of 4 to 5 metres, decaying to 3 to 4 metres during the afternoon. In the north are westerly of 1 to 1.5 metres and in the east a southerly of 1 to 2 metres, although southwesterly 2 to 4 metres offshore in the south, and also a northeasterly below 1 metre. Brooke Oakley, thanks very much. Thank you. 
Tasmania votes 2024. I don't think we need a stadium. Join Leon Compton and the Mornings team on the road at Glebe Hill in the seat of Franklin as we cross the state to get a feel for what you think the issues are that will decide your vote in the state election. Build a stadium, build things. The candidates, the issues and you. We need the ferry. Leon Compton on the road this Tuesday morning from 8.30. Get on with it. Tasmania votes 2024 from ABC Radio Hobart. Coast to coast, this is the Country Hour. You're with Fiona Breen on ABC Radio Hobart and ABC Northern Tasmania. Now, are you a fan of some of the old heritage apples like Crofton's, Cox's, Orange, Pippin, or maybe the Jeeveston Fanny? While you won't find these varieties in the supermarket, more people are keen to track them down at roadside stalls around the state. Meg Whitfield dropped into Matthew Tax Orchard to get a few pointers on some old favourites. These are um, the uh, Gravenstein uh, apples that we've been picking. Um, we've also just been picking in that row there. That's a, a carne, which is another one of our early varieties. So they're both old heritage varieties. So what's unique about the Gravenstein? Gravenstein, yeah, Gravenstein was one of those varieties that people used to grow and used to eat and they, they were brought over by people from um, Scandinavian countries and Europe. Um, they're quite popular in Germany as well and they've got a unique flavour profile. So they're not a, a bright red apple. They don't store particularly well so you can't stick them in a cool store and pull them out in six months time they, they, they don't they don't store like that but they're fantastic so they hold their shape when you when you cook them and you slice them up they they don't go mushy mm. so they don't turn into like what we call floof they don't, <laughs> they don't floof is that an official um, term yeah that's an official term we've got bramleys and and they're an english cooking apple and they floof like you just put them in a floof they just it's, it's, it's great they make, they're great for sauce but the but the gravestings don't do that and so they've got this beautiful thing so if you want to make um like a skillet cake or um or an apple pie that where the apple holds its it's um, some of its texture. Uh, Gravenstein's do that, and they've got a unique flavour. So this is the Danish apple. Yes, yes. Want to try? Sure. Go for it. A lot of the early apples aren't very crunchy. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's still got more crunch than an, uh, than, than other early apples, mm. and it's got a great flavour. It's unique, right? Yeah. I was trying to figure out what it's kind of like, and it's kind of like a jazz, but a bit sweeter. Mm. In mm. flavour than that. And yeah. what were the other ones over here? So these are a carne. I must confess, I'm not the apple researcher in the in uh, on this farm. That's my wife. She does all the research on the apple varieties. So these are these are another great early variety. As you can see, they have a tendency to get quite large. Mm. They're short stemmed, which means commercially they're quite tricky to grow. You can see, like, see how much we've got dropped on the ground here already. Mm. Um, those short stems make them really tricky to manage for picking. We've had to pick these twice, pick them over once um, to get the ripest ones, and then pick them over again. Is so, that the short stem, do they drop off sooner? Yeah, they'll it? drop off sooner, so you'll see them when there's um, a couple of them close together in a, in a, in a bunch, like um, in, a, in a double, they'll, they'll pop off when they're, when they're sort of getting close to that ripeness, which means it's quite tricky to, uh, quite tricky to manage the picking. Um, so we have to kind of try and catch them before, before, they, before they fall off. They're quite squashed. Yeah, they're quite a flat-looking well. apple, right? Yeah, so, um, and that's the thing. So, and, and if you're not, um, 
if you're if you're not careful when you're uh, growing them, you I mean you can end up with them look quite they can end up quite large. <laughs> Is there a market for people wanting apples that they might have eaten? Years ago? Well, yeah. So from our point of view, if we grow heritage apples, we can pick apples off the tree in from January right through till May and sell them. So that's kind of cool. But also, they've got these unique flavours that you just don't get in the supermarket. So like that Gravenstein, you, like you say, oh, a little bit like a jazz maybe. Yeah, and there's so many apples that are like that, that where you'll, 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 you'll taste them and you'll go, wow, that's, that's unique and of its own. And people get their own favourites like... My favourite is Mutsu over there. That's known as the million dollar apple. It, were, it won a competition, a flavour competition in Japan. And the prize was a million dollars for the best tasting apple. It's, it's called the Crispin outside of Japan, but we call it Mutsu because it was developed in Japan. And it's phenomenal. It tastes like, like a ripe Mutsu tastes a little bit like pineapple sherbet. It's just amazing. In it's, an apple. In an apple. Uh, some of our um, apples, our early ones, Vistabella's, they're um, a Macintosh cross. They've got like hints of strawberry, you know, so you just don't get those flavours. And, of, of course, modern variety of apples are, are, are you know, three things. They're, they're red, they're consistent and, and, so, and easy to grow or easier to grow, and they store for a long time. And uh, these varieties generally don't store for a long time. Some of the later ones will store, like Sturmers. Um, they will store. Um, Brayburn store okay, but not great. So, so they don't really store. So we've kind of got to make the most of them while we have them. And there is demand for them. People want to eat them off the tree. Um, we are the only store, I think, in the Huon Valley at the moment where the apples in our store are from this year, you know, <laughs> that weren't picked last March or last April. So that's cool. Is there room for that side of things to expand? Are you expecting to be growing more and more heritage apples or upscaling or are other businesses starting to do the same thing? We've had some approaches from um, uh, wholesalers in Melbourne who um, would, would, would take heritage fruit from us and this year they're going to be looking at some of our varieties and maybe working with us on grafting some trees over to grow more for them so if they have a specific variety that they want more of we'll grow for them but the reality is they're not easy to grow so if they were easy to grow and they stored a long time and all that sort of thing they'd be a commercial variety but they're not probably won't get any bigger probably won't get any bigger from that point of view but um, we've got plenty of other things to do. We still grow galas, we still grow pink ladies for the supermarkets and we still grow cider apples for Willie Smiths. How are the cider apples going? Is that a bigger part of the business than the heritage apples? Uh, it's, oh yeah, definitely. So almost, uh, yeah, so those other two components are definitely bigger in terms of volume and in terms of, in terms of turnover, but they're not bigger in terms of profitability. So like the profitability of me selling... Um, a bin of, of Akane or, or Gravenstein is, is much higher because we're just selling it directly to the customer. We're getting that retail. We're not paying for somebody else to store it, pack it, freight it, put packaging around it. You know, we're not paying all those costs. So our profitability on, on this is great. And it's coming in right now. I'm going to start paying pickers to pick my galas in a month. Uh, I get cash flow. I'm getting some cash flow coming through right now um, from from selling some of these heritage varieties now. Everyone needs cash flow. Huon Valley Orchardist Matt Tack chatting to Meg Whitfield about his heritage apples. Sound absolutely delicious.
Now, we all know wet season weather can cause havoc and create last-minute changes of plans, especially when you're flooded in. But some station-dwelling Taylor Swift fans haven't let a little or a lot of rain get in the way of seeing the pop idol on stage. Bridget Herman has the story. When Queensland's wet season threatened to derail Maddie Hall's chance to see pop star Taylor Swift perform in Sydney, she needed a getaway car, and fast. Um, so we've been rained in for the past five weeks, and so this morning I had to get in a little R22 mustering helicopter with no doors and fly into town to get on my Rex plane. So it has no doors and it's a two-seater chopper with your leg room. I had my handbag under the seat, my duffel bag with my feet on top of it. So I was a bit scared I was gonna like maybe fall out even though I knew I wouldn't just because it was a bit awkward. But yeah, there's not a lot of room in them. She's a governess working on a station 70 kilometres out of Normanton in the Gulf of Carpentaria. She knew all too well that being so remote might mean getting creative when it came time to head to the show. It's always been a possibility, but it was always, we might be able to drive, we might be able to drive, and then on Monday it was like, you're probably going to have to fly. So at the moment... The river over the bridge to town is three metres above the road um, and the other bridges the other way to town are also well underwater um, and just road, like the water washes the roads out, now driveway floods over, things like that, yeah, just flood water. Um, we've had a lot of rain being wet season and also rain in other places that runs down and brings floods with it. And it's making for a round trip of more than 5,000 kilometres. So I've gone from the station to Normanton to Cairns to Sydney and then my way back is Sydney, Mount Isa, Doomadgee, Mornington Island, Normanton station. She isn't the only Swifty who's using a helicopter to reach the concert. On the other side of the country in Western Australia, Maddie Staff lives on a station in the Kimberley near the Northern Territory. Her summer was looking cruel when she also found herself flooded in. Unfortunately, ex-tropical cyclone Lincoln had some other ideas and dropped over 200 mils um, in, in a night, basically, and completely flooded us in. Like The river that we're next to came right up to the back of the house, the chicken coop, the dogs. Being wet season and where we are, uh, there's, there's plenty of companies around that do offer charter services. However, I've got some very good friends and made a few calls around and shout out to Kayla for actually getting me onto uh, this pilot who happened to be based just up the road from us, who was able to ferry me out that day. A typical 22, uh, we strapped my son into a baby carrier and then He's, yeah, obviously legally allowed to fly on my lap with another belt. So we strapped him in and uh, did what we could and no doors through some pretty interesting weather. It's been a journey to see the singer, but these fans are ready to be enchanted. Swifties go to some extreme lengths to get to get to Taylor Swift and um, it's, it's going to be a fearless night, hopefully.
And that was Bridget Herman with that story. Maddie Staff finishing that uh, after her chopper ride to see Taylor Swift. Keeping you updated every day. The Tasmanian Country Hour with Fiona Breen. Now, more than 60 of the best up-and-coming cattle handlers are strutting their stuff at the Deloraine Showgrounds this weekend. It's the annual Junior Beef Expo, and it's a big deal for young people passionate about the beef industry. Mitchell Gray is the president of the Expo. This year uh, is actually one of, our, one of our biggest years we've had. It's actually about a record 60 number. Or? Yeah, we've got about 65 competitors this year. Um, and they range from the age of nine up to 25. Wow. And uh, what do they have to do? Uh, so it's a three-day event um, over three days. We've got a, a pretty intense um, program. Um, it's all around um, animal husbandry and learning um, and, and the showing aspect side of it as well. So, it's a very, so they have um, to make them look pretty and as well as pull them around the yard? And Yes, yes. They, they learn how to wash and clip and show, yes. They get the hair dryers out. Yes, the big big blowers. Yes, big hair dryer, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, or they they get to learn how to handle them, like move them out onto the arena and all that sort of thing. Or yes, yeah, that's correct. Um, um, so today in our program, we've got a lot of learning. Um, so we bring all animals out for all the novice competitors. Um, and yeah, we have have them leading and showing and um, get them going from there. You must have a bunch of nice cows that go along with this yes we're very fortunate um in tasmania um as it's one of our one of the biggest events um we hold with cattle it's um it's, it's not an easy job finding 65 cattle so we're, yeah. we're very fortunate we're very fortunate to have very um, supporting breeders fantastic now this year i believe there's a heifer as a prize yes that's correct yes we're very lucky to have a heifer from the kidman down started the time by chelsea rayner and, um, yeah, we've got a heifer up for grabs from her. So what do you have to do to prize. get that? Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, uh, you've got to win the herdsman. Um, so it's a, quite a substantial prize. Um, so it's about showmanship out throughout the whole expo. Right. So everything is sort of get yes. top points yeah. for all the different all, all bits aspects. and pieces. Yeah. Yes, and how does, all aspects. How does this sort of help with beef handling, cattle handling, and are these kids sort of in the industry, likely to be in the industry in the future? Yeah, we're very lucky. Um, a lot of the children are in the industry, um, and, and it's really interesting to see an, another young group coming through. Um, so there's younger, gener- younger generations from the farmers, and that's what we're seeing now coming through. Um, so it's really good, and it's a good start to get into the industry as well. If you give it a bit of knowledge and a bit of um, hands-on skills, and it can go a long way. We, we, we start today, uh, and we run right through to Sunday. Um, and can so people have, see it if they, they drop in to Deloraine? Yes, yes more, more, people are more than likely to come and hop in. Um, we're at the Deloraine Showgrounds, um, and everything really tomorrow is the main kickoff is a judging competition, so anyone's welcome to come down and have a look um, and just come and see one of us committee members, and we'll show you around. Sounds like a bit of fun. Uh, that's uh, Mitchell Gray. He is the president of the Junior Beef Expo in Tasmania. And there's a whole lot of young people there that are passionate about the beef industry. They've got their 
they're cleaning up their their cattle. Someone's uh, lent their cattle out for the for the weekend, Richard Bailey, and they're they're making them all neat and tidy. Got the uh, hair dryer out, and they're learning how to handle them, which is probably good when. Uh, they end up having to go into different cattle yards and, and things like that. You know what that's like when you're trying to handle cattle. Yeah, that brings back some memories. The old <laughs> showing, of, showing of cattle and the, the washing and the grooming. and the, Then they go and sit in a big, big poo and then you'd have to wash them again. And <laughs> it's quite a thing, isn't it? It, it is a big thing for, you, for young people to get used to and to do all that. Uh, Oh, look, it's fantastic. I, I judged at uh, Bushy Park, oh, I don't know, four or five years, three or four years ago, and to see the schools and the way that they do these junior handling uh, competitions and stuff, it's just, it's amazing. Yeah, it's a really good job. Now, tell me, you've been looking at the markets around the place, so starting with cattle. What's happening out there? Okay, well, just generally speaking, the prime cattle market has sort of it, it sort of evened out this week. It, 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 there were some fairly major falls last week. This week, it's sort of evened out a bit. Um, we, we're still sort of I don't know thirty cents below where we were probably a fortnight or six uh, or fortnight or a month ago. But um, most of the the better yearlings uh, in interstate markets are making somewhere between sort of two eighty and three hundred and twenty cents a kilo. Um, the better the better the uh, grown steers and bullocks, anywhere from sort of two sixty to three twenty. And then your cow market has come back off those highs of a month ago, but. It, those, a lot of the averages are sitting between sort of 220 and 240 cents a kilo. So um, that's been cheaper. The, the shining light, I think, is probably in the store cattle markets. And in Victoria, they're still having some wiener sales in the middle of Victoria. And certainly the big, they're having some big store sales at uh, Ballarat and at Mortlake. Um, like at Ballarat last week, they quoted a lot of the, their um, better steers around 400 cents a kilo and certainly 350 to 400 cents a kilo. Um, uh, and then the lighter ones, sort of anywhere from, you know, sort of 250 to 300 kilos, they're quoting them over 400 cents a kilo. So um, I think that's promising for our wiener sales coming up. I mean, obviously, we've got a freight cost. Um, going further north into northern New South Wales, and uh, there was a very good sale up at Tamworth um, because the Queensland boys are coming down because they've had some very good rains up there. So, um, you know... They have. Yeah, and it's sort of just a matter now of hoping that... Uh, that that flows right through to the south of the uh, of the of the big continent. Anything on uh, sheep and lamb? Yeah, definitely. Um, started the started the week off similar to last week, or a little bit cheaper in places. When we got to Wagga yesterday, it went the other way dramatically. The other way, it went to twenty to forty dollars uh, a jump, which is basically caught up with the, the falls we've had over the last two weeks. So uh, that's really good news. What's happened, uh, Fiona, is that Producers haven't liked the prices over the last three weeks and they voted with their numbers. And uh, like yesterday at Wagga, there were only 38,000 lambs. You say only 38,000. That came off off 60,000. The the other one that would really jump was was sheep, mutton. Yesterday at at Wagga and at Hamilton, um, a lot of the the sheep, um, $20 to $40 a head dearer. Um, At Hamilton, Yesterday, they quoted mutton sort of anywhere from 300 to 400 cents a kilo. So, once again, that's sort of we've caught up that loss we lost for a couple of weeks. But, you know, 
good uh, good signs there. Just very quickly back to cattle. Next week, uh, the first of the weaner sales, AWN kick off on Thursday. Just a reminder, the start of the weaner sales, we start at 12 o'clock. Right. I think there are just shy of 2,000 uh, cattle there next week. Fantastic. Richard Bailey, thanks very much, and we'll catch up with you again on Wednesday. Good on you, Fiona. And just a couple of texts that have come in. Uh, hi, can someone please ask uh, why uh, total fire bans are only for a short period? That was from Kim. I actually don't know that, and we've missed the opportunity to ask our, our fire uh, expert, but perhaps uh, someone this afternoon can look at that for you, Kim. Uh, and just a reminder to your listeners that the frequency to listen to ABC Local Radio for the fire ground in the Upper Duant Valley is 89.7. That's Phil Goodwin, who is a technician responsible for this, apparently. And just one on Heritage Apples. I have a variety of them in my garden, Bramley. I have some healthy-looking apples, depends on the possums, Sturmers murdered by white cockies, James Grieve ate, last, ate first last week, Gravenstein, yummy, have a great weekend, Brian. Thank you, Brian. And joining me in the studio is Joel Reinberger. Good afternoon. Hello there. Oh, I better turn you on there. That you had better. Hello there. <laughs> uh, the fire ban is to do with the fire danger rating. Right. And so yesterday we had a massively high fire danger rating because it was a hot, dry day with strong winds. And the danger was quite extreme yesterday. Today it's not as extreme. It's just cooler and there's less wind around and it's cloudy and the, the chances of fire coming up and going out of control are that much less. So that's all it is to do with. They're just calculating the weather. Yes, yeah, it's all formulas and all sorts of things, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, but, you know, it's one of those ones. I Compare yesterday to today, mm. they're so very different and you can see mm. exactly why that the, that change mm. has been made. Mm. Have you gone for a walk on the pipeline track up on Kunanya Mount Wellington? I have, yes. Love it up I, there. I think it's just a gorgeous little walk particularly great for kids and it used to be one that I'd take my son and his friends on with an empty water bottle because you could fill up your water bottle with mountain water at the uh, little waterfall at the end of it and then you'd have mountain water in your water bottle which the kids loved I've got mountain water today at school they'd say and yeah the, the taste of the water off that waterfall is just perfect now it turns out that in fern tree which is has water fed by those same streams and and stuff they have the literally the best quality drinking water in Australia. The tap water there is the best in Australia. And they've just sent like a bottle of it off to an international tap water competition. Oh, really? So we're going to see how that's kind of done and and what they're looking for and what sort of person can judge water. Do they get wine judges in (laughs) to see who can taste the least? Uh, So we're going to talk about international water competition and where Tasmania does in that. Uh, Also today, uh, there's a Tomorrow's going to be 24 degrees and sunny in Hobart. I reckon I'll probably head to the beach and have a little paddle around. Mm. There's a teacher from Scotch Oakburn who's going to WA this weekend to swim 20 kilometres. Oh, my goodness. In the ocean. Wow. From the beach to Rottnest Island. Yes. So, yes. you know, apparently there's thousands of people doing this, I, this I have 20k this. ocean swim, 19.7 k's. Absolute madness. So we're going to find out what his training's been like. I'm really interested in in what wildlife encounters he's had in the sort of uh, wild water swimming he's been doing and uh, whether he thinks he's in with a chance of a win. Joel Rumberger, thanks very much. And just a reminder, there is the total fire ban in southern Tasmania still in place until 2am on Saturday. 
Thanks for joining us on the Country Hour. Join me again on Monday at noon.